uh, to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, I'll be reading verses 1 through 8. Solomon continues in his exhortation to those younger than older to make use of the days of their youth, to not squander or scorn, wishing for the kind of liberation and freedom that comes also with the age of responsibility. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, I'll be reading verses 1 through 8. Listen as I read from God's word. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them, while the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened, And the clouds do not return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow down when the grinders cease because they are few and those that look through the windows grow dim. And the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low. And and when one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of music are brought low. Also they are afraid of height And of terrors in the way when the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper is a burden and desire fails. For man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the well when the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Let me pray for the blessing of the preaching of God's word. Lord, make us keen listeners. Unstop our ears, either by pride or distraction. And cause us to sit like Mary at your feet. For even while we are in your presence, you have words of life that will shape us. And by your spirit, make us more like yourself, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. Last week, I closed my exhortation directing to the young this clear call. Embrace the moment of your youth while you were young. Now, that does not mean hang on to your youth even in your 30s. It's a bad look. And you will be of no use to the world. But embrace your youth while you are young. For it is fleeting. And the advantages that your youth given to you by God, by his design, can be easily squandered if you are not living with good intentions, in innocence, and a wholesome biblical naivete. Chief among these exhortations is to fear God and keep his commandments. Added to that, Solomon remarks that the young are to be joyful in their youth and not distracted by what they cannot do, where they cannot go, the fact that they have to ride in the back and cannot ride in the front. And when mom is in the car, they don't get shotgun. Or dad, for that matter. I know it. I've been there. And I remember chomping at the bit. And then I remember being let loose in the world thinking, Mommy... (laughs) I just wish I could go home. And then I went home and realized, this is not the same place I left. And then I realized, it's because I'm called to start a home. Mommy, what am I going to do? 
What should I do? What, what, what will I do now that the weight is upon my shoulders? And it may sound silly, and I, I'm kidding only in part, but the fact of the matter is I know many men in college who would go home and mom would do their laundry to their shame. Guys, it's simple. It's two knobs and a button. Do your own laundry. Now, there are some responsibilities that we are called to embrace, even from an early age. And even those things are tastes of what is to come, but they are but tastes. I want you to be content this evening, young people, with the moment in which you have been placed in your story. Two points that I want to make this evening as it relates to capitalizing well your youth. The first, remember before. Remember before. And then second, remembrance as nourishment. Remembrance as nourishment. Let's look at this first point, and I'm going to explain it because the grammar is a little weird. Remember before. Well, before what? Remember before times get hard. Remember not the times when you're an adult, when you were young, but while you are young, God calls you to remember. Remember what? To remember the faithfulness of the Lord in his covenant. Remembrance is an exercise of meditating upon the covenant faithfulness of God. It is Deuteronomy 6 in a nutshell. Wherever you go, wherever, whatever you see, whatever you touch, wherever your feet take you, as you go in and out of your house, there is to always be before you, keep covenant, keep covenant. Well, what does that mean? Well, to contemplate your beginning, that you are made by God and that you are made for God. Remember your catechism. Remember those simple questions. I remember when I did mission work in China, and I would walk these young men who made professions of faith through the children's catechism. And in a country like China, where the state is God or man is God, do you remember children or do you know the first question? This is the question that will get you suspended from public school. Your assignment these last couple weeks in public school is to get suspended. <laughs> Ask your teacher, who made you? Oh. Ask them, what is a woman? Uh, I'm not allowed to say. This is the world in which we live now. And I do not want you to be confused. It is a desperately distracted and depraved place. And you were called to be salt and light. Remember the answer to that question? It's actually quite simple. It's one word. God. Why did God make you? An excellent follow-up. As our children would say, or my sister used to say, for his own glory. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes and infants, God humbles the proud. Those two questions... And you are already more qualified to teach every class in any university than everyone else who teaches today. Because you know where you come from and you know why you're here. That is why you exist. Remember that. And when I say remember, do not just commit to memory the catechism. I want you to bleed catechism. I want you to bleed scripture. I want it to come out of you as though there is nowhere else for it to go. It cannot fit anymore. The sponge is soaked 
full of the truth and goodness and beauty of God and his creation. Remember, this is what Solomon is teaching children and the young. It's not just little kids. It's all of those who have not yet entered into and been exposed to the grind. Or here, the lack of the grind, which is just a a description of deprivation. There's no more grain. Remember before, it gets difficult. Look at verses 2 and 4. Well, let's look at the first verse. Remember, now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. I remember hearing a story of a woman who lived in Eastern Europe, and she lived to be 120. And they would say to her, isn't it amazing? And she would say, I just want to die. Why? Well, because she was well past her expiration date. This is a woman who lived in Eastern Europe, and she's 120. What do you think she saw? What do you think she would love to forget? Not only good days, as Solomon say, sweet days of light, but also the bitter days of darkness. Eastern Europe has gone through some dark days in the past 120 years and continues to go through them. And so she says, as a believer... I'd like to graduate now. I'd like to go and be with my Redeemer. Now, what often happens, young people, is parents will try to shield you. And there is some shielding that is good, but really what parents ought to be doing is preparing you while also showing you glimpses of what is to come. So they give you little chores. In our house, we call them contributions. But we all know they're actually chores. (laughs) You do not feel like you're contributing except to what? Distracting you from the thing you really want to do. Until you realize that the dishes you do now are far fewer than the dishes you will one day do later. And it's all practice for what is to come, but it is practice. My boys and I were reading through some books We never finished the series. I think maybe they finished some of these. And it's the story of these rabbits who are brave soldiers and they fight against eagles and wolves. And uh, they're a wonderful series of books and I cannot remember what they're called right now. But one time we went to the author, uh, J.D. Smith, and he had this presentation of the books and they each got wooden swords. Wooden swords. Why wooden swords? Because you do not give a real sword to a seven-year-old. Why don't you give a seven-year-old a real sword? Because they probably would not live to their eighth birthday or any of their siblings. They're fake. And they not only fuel the imagination, but it is a simulation and a practice for something that is rightly to be engaged in in adulthood, but not until adulthood. And while I'm on a a trend to get canceled, I'll mention this. In many of our schools today, we have many teachers who are chomping at the bit to expose kindergartners to the sexual deviance of adulthood. It's called grooming. What's ironic is this. The world knows what children are for as an asset. Do we, adults? Do we know what an advantage we have 
when we properly prepare our children for the ideological struggle that is to come. And they need to be prepared now. But their innocence needs to remain intact. Their godly innocence. And so, young people, God has given you this time to embrace your innocence. Don't be too quick to put on makeup. Don't be too quick to use the foul language your friends are using. Don't be too quick to think, I'm a man. You will one day be a man, but you're not a man yet. You are to now prepare for that life before you enter into that life. And it is right to wait. It is proper to wait. And parents, it is proper to protect them until that time comes. Because the time is coming. Do not worry. While the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain. It's Camelot, right? It only rains in the evening in Camelot. <laughs> it's the idyllic world. It's looking at the world through new eyes. This afternoon as I was sitting at my computer preparing, I'm working, preparing a sermon. I see my kids playing outside. My wife is feeding the chickens and they're swinging on the swing and I go, I want to swing. <laughs> the days of, of innocence and youth. And adulthood goes... It just comes crashing down upon us. And so many young people are chomping at the bit saying, I just wish I was a grown-up. And that grown-ups are going, <laughs> embrace youth while you have it. But youth isn't, though carefree, careless. Though the clouds do not come after the rain, it's just sun. That does not mean there is not responsibility the primary responsibility in youth is this. It is to nurture a godly heart. The worst time, the worst time to learn how to fight is after the fact the fight has begun. The best time to prepare is when there is no fight for you. And you train with the wooden swords. You spar. You practice. There's simulation. And it is right, even though we live in a world that is quick to grow up our children while remaining or calling them adolescents for 10 years. It's a strange paradox we live. But to see our children playing with dolls, girls, boys, building things, I love to see my 12-year-old, my 10-year-old, bring a Lego. And I look at it and go, that is amazing. Please do not build any bridges in Gastonia. <laughs> right? It's beautiful. It's an expression of imagination and creativity, but it does not follow the principles of nature. Legos can do things that concrete cannot and so you nurture that imagination and the kids that build Legos in their early years are the men that grow up to build skyscrapers and bridges. This is what I mean. Solomon is applying wisdom to every age. Children, young people, wisdom is not something you aspire to later in life. Wisdom is something that you nurture now. Remember. Remember 
when there is only sun after the rain. You also ought to remember not only to prepare for difficulty, but to prepare for famine and deprivation. Because hard times are coming. Right now, apparently, there's a shortage of formula in this country. Not in America. Yes, in America. Not in Mexico, oddly enough. I'm not sure what's going on there. But this is not the only time where you've had a group of people a little bit upset and scared and worried about how they will feed their children. The potato famine. Millions starved. History is replete with cycles of misery that just sort of roll over and over and over again. And how will you prepare for those days in the future if you are not building your house upon the rock as a young person? Even now, Solomon, through Christ, the word of God, is saying to you, prepare for those days. Don't close your eyes, stop up your ears at what is to come, but with your eyes clear and open, Fill your hearts with the knowledge of God so that when the days of crisis come, you don't say, well, my faith did not prepare me for this. My pastor did not, I'm telling you right now, prepare for it. Now you cannot say your pastor has not prepared you. I wash my hands. Oftentimes, what you'll hear when you ask someone who is young, what do you want to do for a living? And they say, I don't know, but I want to make a lot of money. And you go, ha, ha. What difference does that make? Do you know what happened in 2008? Some of you were not born. (laughs) The crash. 401Ks, gone. Many ministers in the OPC had to stay in ministry 15 years longer just to build their retirements back up. These things happen. And the only way to prepare for them, as Solomon would say, is to remember. You need to lay up for yourself deposits of covenant renewal, of meditating upon God's word, of hiding it in your heart, of shoring up your character, of establishing a pattern, habits, and a trajectory that is an objective that will be and is sustainable no matter the circumstances. I want you to think of Joseph. Joseph is the template in this. A righteous, holy young man who did what was right even though it cost him much. And then one day God gave him great responsibility. And that is not a promise that God will give you great responsibility if you are but faithful. But God only uses faithful people well, cheerfully. Because there is a list of things that are coming Verse 3, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow down, when the grinders cease because they are few, a grinder is someone who grinds grain. There's no more bread. There are invaders in our land. When you look through the windows, they're dim. The doors are shut. People are scared. When one rises at the... Parents, do you struggle sleeping through noise in your house? Every little noise. What is that? There's someone in the house... Dads, restlessness. And as you get older, it doesn't get easier. All the daughters of music are brought low. What Solomon is saying to the young is this. By remembering your creator, 
You are not pushing back and avoiding and closing your eyes to the potential bleakness of the future. You are, in fact, looking at it full in the face and saying, now is the time to prepare. Now is the time. Don't wait. And not only to prepare for famine and deprivation, but also to prepare for battle. There will come a time when the covenant community, the one into which you have been born, raised, nurtured, nurtured, and yes, even forced to be a part of, will be but one of the many groups that you will be a member of. And to what degree you invest in that group will pay back to you an immense amount of strength. I can tell you this right now. There's not many of us here at Reformation. But if we are faithful to one another and we stand together, we are strong. That sounds cliche, right? But a cord of three strands is not easily broken. It's better for two to lie down together than one. And one of the things I am most grateful for in my life, and I know I joked about it this morning about the coffee pot. (laughs) We have been blessed with such peace in this church. It is a testimony of God's faithfulness to us. And I will tell you this. Keep short accounts with the saints. Prepare now to be at peace with the people in your church. Do not gossip about them behind their backs. Do not talk about them. Talk to them. But seek strength in the body. Because not everybody you meet is your friend. And not everybody fights the same way. And the world fights dirty. And the harder you fight against unbelief, the harder the world, the flesh, and the devil push back against you. You shouldn't have to fight that fight now, though. But the fight is coming. To prepare for battle, you need to prepare. Don't hide your face from the way things really are. One of the great ways to do this, parents, is to take your kids to the nursing home, if you can get in. And look at the misery of the loneliness of old age, at least in the way we do it in this country. We are a culture that is so terrified of death, we are obsessed with it. You always obsess over what you fear, don't you? Young people, do not shrink back from the end of what your life will one day look like. Think of the day even of your death. Think of all the days in between and ask yourself, how will I prepare myself for all of those days? And I will tell you this, if you begin to do that, you will be so far ahead of your neighbors that you will be of such use to those who do not think about it. You will be like sweet guides in the desert, in the wilderness of life. And there is nothing like a tour guide. Let your eyes be open wide to the reality of life. I want you to spend time in the wisdom books of the scripture. Because they paint an unblushing picture of what life is like under the sun. Vanity of vanities. That doesn't mean your life is worthless. It means it's short. Make the most of it. Don't hide your face from the way things are. And then secondly, I want you to think of remembrance as nourishment. Verse 6. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed. 
or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. I want you to eat now while the eating is easy, rich, and good. Now, in our house, the way it works is this. Uh, Mom and Dad prepare dinner. The kids sit down. They get served first. And then at some point, Mom and Dad sit down and eat. We try to sit together. But oftentimes what it means is the kids are almost through their food before we get to sit down. Because kids eat, most kids, not all kids, especially if it's good food, they eat quickly. And one of the things that we do is we sit and we return thanks to the Lord. We express our gratitude. Parents, if your children want to pray, let them pray. And teach them how to pray. Teach them to pray above all things in Jesus' name. Amen. And teach them to pray, Lord, thank you for this food. Now, obviously, if you do that enough, and if you're not careful, it can become rote. So change your language. Change the person who prays. Think about what you're saying. Contemplate what you're saying. Children, I want you to think about where that food comes from. And I want you to think about if that food does not come. What would it be like to miss one meal? Mom, I'm starving. You're not starving. (laughs) What if you were? Eat now while the eating is good. Now, I do mean that literally, but I also mean that as a kind of metaphor. It is right that we serve and feed our children. And the Bible says that a man who does not care for his family is worse than an unbeliever. Parents have an obligation to provide for their family as far as they are able within God's providence. We have a duty to feed our children first, even if it means we go hungry. Paul even says it is right for a new believer to drink milk, but at some point you must go from milk to meat. But sweet are the days of milk. After worship this morning, I got to hold the new Whitlock baby. It's addictive. It's addictive because there's something about holding an infant that it just reminds you of what life is for and what it is about and how sweet it can be. And you look at this child and there is a little condensed potential nugget right there in your arms. And you're looking at him and going, boy, you got a whole lot of life ahead of you by God's grace. And you pray for those children. You pray over them. You pray with them. You think about what their lives will be. And do you know what? He doesn't think anything. It's the parents that worry. It's the grandparents. It's the covenant community that stood in his baptism. And they vowed to help the parents and to show him the way. And all we're doing is we're thinking, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Is he going to be okay? What kind of sports? What kind of school is he going to go to? And Hayes is just going, is it time to eat? That's what Solomon means. The simplicity of living by your instincts. And the appropriateness of it. Until you're launched into the world and all of those cares and concerns fall heavy upon your heart. And you can't eat because your stomach is sick because of worry. I'm not talking about good manners, young people. I'm talking about what Luther would say to his son. Improve your baptism. 
Remember your baptism. Remember the grace of God proclaimed to you when you had not a thought in your head. Hayes will not remember his baptism. Praise God. And that is a beautiful testimony of how the covenant comes to all of us. It comes while we are blind to reality. That is why the travesty of suffering children is such an offense to us. It's the hypocrisy of the West decrying the violence of Russia and Ukraine while killing thousands of children every day in Charlotte. How dare we? The height of our hypocrisy rises to the heavens and is a stench to the nostrils of God. And the reason why parents labor to protect the innocence of the child is so that they may grow up in the nursery of godliness and they may nurture it on good things. And so, young people, I want you to do this. And as much as your parents are struggling to acknowledge your childishness, I want you to embrace it and to remember God has given me these days in order to grow well and to grow strong. So we have 20 big birds and we have 20 new birds. And the 20 new birds we would keep in this little thing we called the nursery. And there's always a little bit of fear when we let the new flock in with the old flock because chickens can be tribal and ruthless. Clicky. That's where the phrase little bitty came from. That's what they are. They're biddies. And they can be very violent. And so you go, what's going to happen? That's why you get 20 at a time so they can team up. What is the world going to be like? As we launch our children into the world, are they prepared? Are you prepared? I want you to swing. I want you to say, Mom, what's for dinner? And I want you to enjoy it. But I want you to do so because you know what is coming. And short are the days that someone puts a plate in front of you and says, I love you. Did y'all have the little, the little spice can that says love on it? Did any of y'all have that? Someone gave that to my mom when we were kids. You know, this was made with love. It's cheesy, but it's true. She was not the kind of mom to ever even pretend to do that. But she made it all with love. And I know that now because I know the cost. I did not know the cost when I was 17 even. I certainly didn't know the cost when I was seven. And then lastly, I want to say this. Childhood is not for battle. Childhood is a nursery to nurture our children in truth, goodness, and beauty. Childhood is not a battle for our children. That is, they are not to be in the fight. We are to be jealous and fight for them. The world wants your children. But the last people that need to fight the world are your children. And yet what we have is this situation in which we send our children to these schools. They have to walk through metal detectors. Why? What danger is there? That's not a nursery for the human soul. It's a prison yard. And this is what Christian parents say. I want them to learn to be missionaries young. You know what a missionary is? It is someone who has been trained to take up the sword and do battle against unbelief. Our children are not prepared for that. How dare we? 
The world wants our children's souls. Are we jealous for our children's souls, parents? And I don't mean just schools. I mean the things they watch, the things they hear, the friends they keep. You have been obligated. You are obligated by God to make sure the lives of your children are protected. And young people, if you don't like that, get over it. Because your parents do it for your best interest. And one day, I guarantee you this, if your parents gave you too much freedom, what you will do when you become an adult is they'll say, my parents gave me too much freedom. Guess what? You're my kids. It's tight. Don't send your kids to the world, as Vody Balkan would say. Don't send your kids to Caesar and expect anything but Roman citizens. And I know children, sometimes young people, church feels to you like an obligation. But I hope, at least at Reformation, there is some practical dispensation, the giving out of godly instruction, and you may not value it now, but I pray by God's grace you do, and you will come to value it later. Childhood is practice for battle, but it is not the battle yet. Prepare them for the battle when it comes. What I mean, fathers, is this. You are to contend in the gate for the faith. And you are to show your sons how. Mothers, you are to nurture a quiet and gentle spirit. And you are to show your daughters how. And when you do this, what you are doing is you are creating these glorious family outposts of a faith that is lively and attractive to a world that is lost and desperate for meaning and purpose. Because someday, kids, the silver cord is loose, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered, and the broke and the wheel is broken. And you'll go, what am I for? And I would say this, return to the faith of your youth. Do not forget the faith of your youth. Remember the promises of God now and let that protect you for what is to come. Let's pray. Lord.